Greetings listeners, welcome back to a very special episode of Sunday School at Modern Mystic Shop. My name is Kirsten Hedges and I might be an unfamiliar voice to some of our listeners out there. I am the facilitator and producer of Sunday School, but for this episode, I'm going to be tagging in as guest host to introduce our very, very special speaker for this week. Uh, As you all know by now, every week we invite a new teacher into our space where they teach live. Then you get to listen in on those classes that we hold every Sunday uh, at our shop in Atlanta. Um, This week we are very, very lucky to have Kelly Knight, the CEO and founder of Modern Mystic Shop in the space, to talk to us about some pretty radical topics. And I want to share something with you all. Um, You just have to promise not to tell Kelly, and that is that it is one of my favorite things in the world when Kelly gets radical, when this otherwise pretty resoundingly calm and together uh, woman with her gold and silver tipped aura pushes forward and stands very powerfully um, in her truth, in her raw truth. That is quite a thing to behold. So I was really, really happy and really excited that we were able to get Kelly in here on a Sunday to spend a whole hour with us sharing her truth, sharing her powerful, powerful truth. And one of the coolest things about when Kelly gets radical and when she shares this truth is that she's not sharing it in an effort to convince you. She's not sharing it with the expectation that you adopt these beliefs. And she doesn't, I think, really care if you accept or like them. Um, And that is one of the most amazing things to behold, is a woman just standing firmly in what she believes. And so I hope that you all enjoy this podcast because it is an utter representation of that. It is a powerful woman speaking radical truth in an effort to truly help usher us out of what has been a highly problematic new age society, right with what Kelly calls these love and light mantras and spiritual bypassing into the now age, into the current present moment where we are awakening, where we are becoming aware and conscious, not only spiritually, but politically. We're becoming aware in so many different ways. We're becoming aware of class and race and the way that all these things intersect to create the human experience in an effort to inform our spiritual beings and consciousness. And so if you are down to move out of the Piscean and get down with the Aquarian, then this is the class for you. And Kelly is the woman to do it for you. So please enjoy this very, very special Sunday school with a very, very special woman Uh, Thank you so much for listening. Please don't forget to rate and subscribe to our podcast because things are only going to get more interesting from here. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you enjoy the podcast and I hope that you have a blessed, blessed day. I taught the very first Sunday school ever and there were about this many people here. And it's been so incredible to see how it's grown over the past, I don't know if we've been doing it for a year. I just want to take one second to acknowledge Kirsten Hedges over here. She has created 
uh, such an inviting space and has found the most incredible teachers. And so this was sort of my idea, but then I was able to hand it over to Kirsten, and she's really created such a sense of community with this program. So I would love to everyone to give her some props because she does all the hard work every single week to make us all come together. Okay, so as I do, I pulled tarot cards this morning about what this session might be like today. I pulled the Three of Cups, which is the celebration card, which felt really cool. Uh, and then I pulled the Death card, and then I pulled the Hangman. So what that means to me is that at the end of this, you know, we're coming together in celebration and community, but we're going to be talking about some topics that might push you a little bit, some, some viewpoints that may ask you to sort of see things from a different perspective, and some content here that has been highly transformational in my life, and I'm hoping that it will be transformational for you too. I never want to tell anyone what they should or shouldn't do or how they should believe, but I'm going to be offering this information from my experience and take what resonates, but if it makes you uncomfortable, I'm kind of okay with that too, because that's what has caused me the most transformation in my life is when I get a little bit uncomfortable and have to sort of reassess what I thought was always true and sort of see for myself if it still is for me. Are you guys up for that? Okay, cool. So the name of this talk is Navigating the Now Age. And why I call it the now age is because I don't have anything better to call where we are right now. <laughs> but we're definitely not in the new age. And I, I, I really sort of retract when, when, we, when people call us a new age store because I don't think that's where we are. I think it's what people sort of associate with this sort of movement and crystals and tarot currently but I don't believe it's what we're doing. I believe we're sort of finding a new language for this new landscape that we find ourselves in, where no one ever has been before. And so what I've noticed and what we'll talk about is ways in which the new age principles have been sort of tr trickling into what I call, for lack of a better term, the now age, in a way that actually is a toxic mimic of the old thing and not actually the new thing that we're doing. Does that make sense? It sounds a little vague, but we're gonna get into more crystallized you know, explanation of things that I've noticed and, and practices that I've seen that are no longer congruent for where we are, but we sort of adapt them, um, and it's not exactly the right fit. So it's okay that you look confused because we're gonna get into it. Um, are you guys familiar with um, the astrological phenomenon that's been going on where we've been entering into a new age. So we've been entering, I've talked about this before, I'm gonna talk about it till my face turns blue because I feel like it really helps people to understand what the fuck is happening. <laughs> so for the past 2000 years, we've been in what is called the Piscean age, astrologically. And we are in this age between ages. So it started in around 2012. And that's when I had my huge spiritual awakening, which I don't think is a coincidence. And we've been transitioning now in this period that's called the Kali Yuga, but into what is the Aquarian age. So the Piscean age is the times when we've all grown up in where things are hierarchical, patriarchal, 
where, where some of these spiritual practices are held secret, where not everyone is equal and has opportunity to access these certain tools and energies and rites and rituals. The difference between the Piscean Age and the Aquarian Age is the Aquarian Age is we're in the age of information. We've heard it, right? The information age, where it's more matriarchal, where it's more equitable, where uh, information is free to share and everyone has access to everything, right? But unfortunately, when you're in an energy current for 2,000 years, you can't turn on a dime and say, oh, we're in a new age now. And so we're seeing if you you know, look at the, the women who are marching yesterday at our capital in Georgia, in Atlanta, Georgia, we're seeing now how the uh, sort of societal expression of this duality and polarity between the Piscean Age, the old way, and the Aquarian Age, the new way. And believe it or not, we have all signed up to be on this transition team. And so it's a really critical time to sort of be hyper aware of what you're up to and what your motivations are and, and what your mission is on this planet because it's, a, it's never been done before this way. And that's why I don't have the language exactly to explain this sort of purgatory, for lack of a better term, that we're in. And that's why I want to sort of start having these conversations with people so we can see how we can develop the language together. Um, have you guys noticed sort of like this, obviously, right, this outside sort of tug and pull between, you know, the, 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 the patriarchy and for lack of a better, for lack of a better word, and, and how we're trying to sort of create a, a new movement to sort of more gracefully transition the best we can into this new way. And so bringing that back to the, the sort of spiritual community or the wellness community, I have observed that there are some Piscean patriarchal thoughts and beliefs and structures that we have carried into this new age because we're still unraveling what it means like to be a spiritual being in the Aquarian age. And so I've identified and experienced myself and through working with clients, some of these thoughts or beliefs that actually aren't super beneficial and ways in which we should maybe unravel those a bit so that we can together create a new way of what it means or a new definition of what it means to be a spiritual person now. Because the fastest growing religion is actually spiritual non-religious right now. And so we're all a bunch of seekers. And that's how I even landed here. You know, in my 20s, I was trying to figure out, you know, there's got to there's gotta be a better way. Who's had that thought? Or what's the meaning of life? And all of these massive questions. And so we're offering this space in this conversation to figure out how we want to move forward. And I'm going to sort of illuminate certain things to be aware of so that we don't create the same thing again with a different facade. Does that make sense? Because if you don't unravel your own personal thoughts and beliefs around religion and around spirituality, you're 100% guaranteed to project those same notions onto the new thing and think that it's the new thing, but really it's the same belief structures and pressures and guilt and et cetera that you're impressing upon you, the, what you think is a new spiritual practice and way of being. Does that make more sense? Okay. So when I opened this shop, 
my main mission was, and it has this nice alliteration, to make Mystic mainstream. So my goal was to have all of these offerings and these tools available in an environment that is accessible, that doesn't feel secretive or dark or scary or of like sort of the 70s vibe because I'm trying to create an environment of this now age for people to access whoever. We're in a mall for Christ's sake. I mean, sorry, I don't we're in a mall. Like, who thought you could put a crystal shop in a mall and have, like, thousands of people come to it? That was the primary mission, and I feel like that's always going to be the baseline mission for this store and for part of how I want to make an impact in the world. But as I've studied and grown over the past, well, we've been open for almost three years now, I feel called for, towards a different, deeper mission, which is to help all of these people <laughs> integrate to be integrated human beings where, sure, it's cool that this stuff is mainstream and you can come to a mall and buy a crystal, but you don't have to hide that crystal in a drawer when you're at work because you're afraid that people are going to think of you some kind of way. That you can have a meditation and yoga practice that you are proud, like, like Narendra, welcome, that you can wear a turban because it's part of your practice and not feel like you have to hide it from the world. And that's part of the mission of this space is to create a workplace on a more micro level for our employees to come with their whole integrated selves into a place of business and use all of their skills and talents to have impact. And so sort of my vision and my mission here that I want to share with you guys is to challenge you to be integrated human beings and not feel like you have to compartmentalize your spiritual side of yourself, and other aspects of yourself when you are going to the bank or when you're in the workplace or when you're in family situations. And why I think that's so important is because of my personal experience that when I finally was able to, to the best of my ability, integrate those worlds, because I was hidden. I started a modern mystic um, Instagram account without my name or face associated with it because I was afraid that my marketing clients wouldn't hire someone that uses tarot cards to predict the impact of their marketing promotions. And I wanted to find community, but I didn't want to be loud and proud about my beliefs or practices uh, because, and, and, and it was detrimental to me. Sure, it grew, and sure, I did get to create community, but as soon as I was able to pull both of those worlds together, my effectiveness, my ability to have an impact in the world and how I felt about myself escalated exponentially. And so I really believe in my heart that the more we can create an, ourselves to be integrated human beings, the more impact we'll have and the more acceptance we'll have and that's where, you're, where you actually access your truest power. So that's why we're gonna talk about some of these ways in which sort of the new age philosophy gets kind of wonky. And, and as we try to integrate, it's important to identify these things, in my opinion, because it keeps us separate from ourselves. And some of these things keep us from really knowing ourselves and accepting ourselves. And there's sort of those Piscean principles that seep into where we are right now, and it's actually counterproductive. Does that make sense? All right, cool. So. One thing I want to also say is that we are here to have a human experience. We are here to have a human experience. And I feel like sometimes that gets forgotten because people want to be so spiritual. 
Like you came here to be a human being. And so a lot of the things that I'm going to discuss like in effect sort of shame you for being a fucking person. Like that's messed up. And I went through a lot of like self-torture, just feeling shitty that I had an ego or that I had desires or that I wanted to do certain things. And it's like that it was so torturous for myself, for me personally. And so that's where the integration piece comes in and the self-acceptance piece can come in. It's like if you acknowledge that you're a spiritual being, but you've signed up to be on this transition team to have a human experience, there's so much freedom and there's so much less shame and guilt. And shame and guilt are, are literally two of the lowest frequencies that you can carry in your body and that emanates in your aura, and that impacts the experience that you have in life. So if you can take one thing away, it might be like, what would it be like to put a rightness on 100% of your feelings, 100% of how you show up in this world, 100% of who you are? That makes for a really powerful switch in the psyche, that like, you're okay, you're better than okay, um, and then some of these ways that we've been trained that spirituality is um, might not always be right, okay? So let's see what else we got. Oh, we got through the whole first page, you guys. Okay. I just want to say again, working on your beliefs around religion, your beliefs around spirituality, especially the ways in which you feel religion hasn't served you or has failed you or has all of it, is, is a really important inner inquiry so that you can actually have a clean slate as you start to approach your own form of spirituality that we're all figuring out at the same time. So raise your hand if you've heard of your ego. Yeah. Okay. How many of you guys, uh, like me, are sort of, were introduced, even if it's not your belief now, you're introduced that the ego was something that was to be wrangled, wrestled, like, are you guys in that? Yeah. So, like, this is something that's a part of you that needs to be disciplined and under control and can, like, really fuck your shit up, right? That's how I was taught about the ego. And I went into very deep training for, like, five or six years to, with a group where I do feel like their primary mission was to sort of dismantle the ego. And I thought when I was doing that kind of work that I was actually being on my path to being more aware and more conscious and a better person. What happens with me and what I believe happens if you try to dismantle the ego is you can have a psychotic break, actually. Like if you're really trying to dismantle this aspect of you. And, though, and so what happened for me when, during some of this training, which I got a lot out of the training, but this was one of the sort of darker sides, is I became very paralyzed as to even trust my own judgment within myself because I was taught there's you, and then there's this ego that's really running the show, and it's your job to manage this freaking crazy Tasmanian devil. And I wasn't ever, I never felt confident that I was able to make a right decision. It's like, how do I know if this is the right thing or if this is an ego trip? How do I know that this is my highest self or this, this sort of gnarly gremlin is actually trying to trick me? Have you guys had this experience? It is torture. It was torture. Like, I, I was paralyzed as to, like, who I was and where to move forward and how to live and all of this. And so... 
Um, I, when I left that group, I did a lot of my own self-work and I discovered that I felt better and I knew myself better and I gained more awareness when I started to look at the ego as um, an aspect of myself that actually could help me. So your ego actually helps you make your way in the world. It's the part of you that is assertive and actually takes some of these maybe spiritual ideas or, or um, notions that you have and helps you express them and helps you move forward. So without the ego, the ego is actually you know, associated, I believe, to this earthly existence. So going back to the fact that we want to have a human experience and that's what we're here to do, the ego is one of those tools to help you have this, this human experience. And so... When I started to sort of look at my ego in a few ways, number one, some, some aspect of self that can help me. Number two, like an aspect of myself that if it is sort of acting up in the sense of driving me out of my sense of alignment, it gives me crucial information as to where I need more healing, where I need more work. So like if I'm having a quote unquote ego trip, instead of trying to like manhandle it and lock it in the closet, it's like embrace it to say like, what are you trying to say here? Like what, where's the work that is needed? Where could I use more healing? What is the lesson? As opposed to being so ashamed that I even have this part of myself that I, I, I'm in secret because I don't want anyone to know that I have an ego, which we all have. It's like you walking around with like a face, like we all have them. We see it. <laughs> It's, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of silly that I've tried so hard to sort of um, have this um, villainization of this part of myself. And so there's definitely something in Kundalini Yoga that um, they talk about the positive ego. And my teacher, Guru Jagat, talks about that. The positive ego, too, where you can have, when you can use this as a friend. So I'm going to read something from um, a quote. It'll take a couple minutes. Where did I put my... Um, from Yogi Bhajan. So Yogi Bhajan is, um, he westernized Kundalini Yoga. He's a prolific teacher. And um, I was, you know, sort of meditating about this class. And I just Googled, you know, like when spirit Googles for you, like Yogi Bhajan ego, ba-boom. And then like the best quote ever pops up. So I'm going to read it because he says it so much better than I could. Okay. Whenever you forget that you have the capacity to be a God, then you've become disconnected from God, and it is a very lonely and very painful. It's very unfortunate. You lose touch with your guide, and you sink back into quicksand. Without the guidance, there can be no self-determination. Without self-determination, there can be no achievement. Without achievement, there can be no knowledge. And without knowledge, there can be no awareness. Without awareness, there can be no radiance. And without radiance, you might as well be an animal. An animal gets up from sleep, eats food, has sex, raises children, and does everything else that you do. But an animal has no mind to observe himself in action. That is the difference between an animal and a human being. Hue means light. Man means mind. A human being is a being of mental light and being of mind as well as body. But to experience yourself as a human being, you have to condition your mind to experience infinity. Life asks a question that must be answered. Life says to the ego, you came with me into this life, but you cannot go with me into death. I must use you to help carry me across 
but I cannot take you with me. And when I go, oh, I cannot take you with me when I go. This is the riddle of the ego that we are faced with. Life belongs to the land beyond. Ego is given to you as a companion so that you can travel the road to the land beyond. But the ego cannot go with you, nor can the ego direct your journey because the ego does not know where you are going. The ego cannot know that you belong to the ethers because the ego is not a product of the ethers. It is a product of this earth. It is a friend and a companion to be taken with you on the journey, but is not the driver of the car. But that does, that does not mean that the backseat driver will not try to drive. You must take control of this backseat driver and commit yourself to your destination. Isn't that great? I just think it's so perfect. It's talking about how the ego is of this 3D world and how it's a companion to help you go there. So it's like, it's like you're on a road trip and you ask, you know, you have your friend on board that can help you like pick out snacks and make sure you're getting in the right direction. Um, and sometimes it does try to drive. You can ask my husband, I'm the worst backseat driver, but it doesn't mean he's gonna let me drive his car. And I think it was, it's so profound and so beautiful and so accurate. So the goal here is to get the ego in service of your ethereal mission. How can you use this tool and this friend to help you complete your mission and have purpose on this planet? How can you not demonize this thing, but how can you actually befriend it in a way that can be in highest service to everyone? Does that make sense? Yeah, I think it's so, is anyone else like blown away? <laughs> I just think it's so incredible the way that he tells that story. So that, the ego scenario of it being like this bad thing, I feel like is a hangover from the Piscean age of, of separating yourself from you and, and separating these aspects apart so that you can't actually have full access to your autonomy and your power and your, and your impact. And so the more rightness, like I said before, that you can put on all aspects of self, the ego included, the more you will be able to live in harmony with yourself and create a harmonious impact on others and have that experience reflected back to you, in, in my opinion. Does anyone have any questions about that ego piece? Because I talked for a long time. We're good? All right, we can move on to the next thing. Oh, the next thing, actually, that reminds me of is sort of inner child work. Have you guys heard of that, you know, inner child work? I'm a fan of it, so I'm not going to say that that's like a hangover from the Piscean age. But I just wanted to share, like, do you guys know why, you, why people do it? Yeah? Okay, so some people don't. So it's similar. It's similar to the process of the ego, in my experience. So we have these little points in our lives in which we've had trauma, in which we get sort of stuck. And then we start to sort of, or I'll, I'll speak with myself. I have had that experience, and I disassociate with those parts of myself because it's painful, because it's embarrassing. Um, like, for example, I have, I've known to give these personalities or little little kids inside of me names. So one was called Becky, as in, oh my God, Becky, look at her butt, it's so big. Like, she's a bitch. <laughs> Becky is 13, she lives inside of me, and I, have, I hated her for most of my life because she was the nasty girl at school, she was like the mean girl, she wanted to be popular, um, but she was also traumatized. Like, that was a very traumatizing time in my life. And I was so ashamed and embarrassed that I had my inner Becky. 
Um, just sort of similarly to like how I became ashamed and almost embarrassed about having this ego. And the work that I've done um, in the past to sort of integrate Becky is also, you know, a, a great tool to, to that, that path to self-acceptance. And so instead of like pushing her aside and being so embarrassed at anyone, look at me, I own Modern Mystic Shop. I can't have a Becky. Like I can't be a mean girl. People can't know that that's inside of me. But the more I integrated the Becky, the less rageful she became, the more I began to actually understand and ask sort of through journaling and meditation. And I created this whole integration practice that I do on my own. But it actually allowed me to integrate her back into the mix. And what happens when you do that, number one, there's more acceptance. But number two, I get access to her gifts. So sure, she was informally a mean girl, but she's also bold and also really creative and also like really fiery and, and, you know, and ignites things. And when I was able to sort of integrate Becky, she's actually probably part of why I was able to manifest this store. That took a lot of bravery and courage, you know, and like to become like to feel like a little bit of a visionary. And so I say this because that, that theme of integration, integrating all aspects of self and these parts of ourselves that get sort of stunted or stuck and bringing them on board and sort of being their mom and dad now really um, helps with this whole self-acceptance theme and this integrate and, and your integrated most highest powerful self in this 3D world in which we chose to share time. Does that make sense? Do you guys have a Becky? Am I the only one? <laughs> right, we all have these Beckys or whomever. I have a friend named Becky. I hope she doesn't take offense, but um, okay, cool. So I would love to talk about everyone's favorite spiritual phrase, love and light. Do y'all like it? <laughs> okay, I have beef with love and light. This is, and this might be an unpopular opinion that I've discussed before, but this is part to me also of this sort of old way, sort of infiltrating where we are right now. So love and light in itself is not bad, right? It, there are two sort of emotions or energies that we have permission to contact with. Where it gets kind of weird for me is that I feel like it's become some sort of mantra of the new age, which is really the now age, in my opinion, or the Aquarian age, that, that totally glosses over any sort of emotions or feelings, and it prioritizes, I feel like, this love and light as the dominant aspirational energy or emotion to be living in at all times. Do you guys feel like that? I do. No. No? It's okay. We can talk about oh. Oh, just, I was like, it's, we all don't have to agree. But I feel like it's, the, it's sort of like the mantra or the theme of this period of time. And any time, you know, that you come into this place where you start to feel like it's not spiritual to be angry or not spiritual to, like, spend time in, like, a shadow or the darkness, it's another way to separate you from you. And it's another way to feel, like, uh, feel guilt or shame or these, you know, whatever these feelings are that you have if you're not happy and you're not covering everything over in pink paint to make everything feel okay. And so one way to actually describe this is a term called spiritual bypassing. When you actually over-spiritualize things and you bypass the real emotions, psychological sort of 
unconscious behaviors that we need to have, that we need to sort of process. Um, and it all gets sort of wiped away with this sort of like love and light mantra and mentality. And so I see it everywhere on Instagram and a lot of people that look like me that are these blonde haired, blue eyed, whatever I look like, but there's preaching love and light everywhere. And it's not my, it's, it's just not what I believe is actually what serves us the best. What serves us the best is to really allow ourselves to have this human experience and access the wide range of emotions and experiences. And if you're not feeling like love and light that day, that's freaking great. And if you feel like crying or if you feel like raging, all of these are valid and all of these are ways to access deeper, in my opinion, parts of yourself. You are very complex individuals and that's one of the blessings of actually being a human being is to experience the complexity of ourselves. And so I extend a lot of grace um, to myself and to all of you to actually dig in there and like what would it be like if, it, if you didn't feel like it always had to be love and light. That's a nice inquiry to think about. Um, okay, so another thing that I, w I feel like is a hangover that I, my husband you know, taught me a lot about is um, the word desire. How do you feel when you hear that word? Anyone? Desire? <laughs> saucy. Okay, Narendra feels saucy. Does anyone feel like, I can't have that? Or, ooh, or... Forbidden, yeah. What were you saying? Satisfaction. So I just want to talk about desire because my, um, you know, my husband's a magician, and we were we're writing um, a book together about ritual, and one of the keys to ritual is actually allowing yourself to access desire. And as we were, we've been talking about this topic, what I noticed in me is that I was trained to believe that desire was a bad, unholy thing. I was raised Catholic. And so desire in my mind was associated to like some of the maybe um, harder aspects of the ego complex. If I was going after desire, does that mean that I'm not in service or am I, you know, uh, is it a lower expression? And the answer is no. So if you think about it, we are born, we are born with innate desires. We need to eat, we need clothing, we want connection. These are all very base level desires. You will never escape, just like you will never escape your ego, you will never escape your desires. And so this is a theme, right, of the integration. It's like, what if you could actually access these desires in a way that, don't have, that does not have shame, that does not limit you, does not have a judgment on it, and then that energy of desire is actually an, the energy of manifestation and creation. So when we stifle the energy of desire or put a wrongness on it, it severely handicaps our ability to actually create and generate energy in our lives. And so as a Catholic schoolgirl, you know, I've had to do a lot, I still do, I still have to work through my feelings about desires being dirty or wrong or selfish right? And how, and to retrain my mind to step into and claim these desires as a way that my psyche and, and aura and body is sort of leaning me towards which way I should go on my path. If you think about your desires as little hints along the way that you can 
sort of put the pieces together for your purpose or your mission or where you're going to have impact. Again, all of these things can be clues if you're looking at them with an, uh, with an inquisitive eye and with, a, with an inner inquiry of like, I wonder why I want to do that thing, right? As opposed to like, ooh, I want to do that. Um, I will say someone had mentioned to me before about desire, like what if you have actually um, desires that would be harmful to others? People ask that sometime in ritual magic too, like what if you have desires that would be harmful to others? So I am not in the camp to say that if your desire, if, if people have desires that are uh, negatively or, or harmful to other people, that that's, um, that's not really what I'm talking about and I'm hoping in this group, maybe that's not what we're talking about, but I would still say that to shame people for desires that even would be harmful to others does not give them any space to ever get help because it just puts more shame and more, um, uh, it, it helps, it just creates more secretiveness, you know, and more, uh, basically shame is the best word I can use around that desire, which that will inhibit that person from ever actually being open to getting help or treatment, should that be the case. So desire is a very complex thing, just like all the things that we're talking about. Um, but for general purposes, I would say, like, get clear on your desires, help to them, uh, get, connect with them, and use them to help you generate energy to actually create what you want in your life. Because when you are creating a life that you want, uh, yours, and you're in alignment, you're going to have more harmony, you're going to have a better outcome, and that's how your world is going to show up back to you, in my experience. So I just wanted to talk about desire. <laughs> How are we on time? Only half hour? I feel so much, put so much in this 30 minutes. Okay. Okay, next. I'd love to talk about empaths. <laughs> okay, so I would imagine most of you guys are empathic individuals, right? Um, and identify as empaths. So being an empath is amazing. It's a superpower. But what I've noticed in this sort of now age time is that a lot of people... Um, view being an empath as sort of like a crutch or a burden or um, something that's not actually super positive and how they experience that part of themselves, right? So empath means you can sort of sense into other people's energy as you are open and you are highly sensitive, which I would imagine most of you guys are. Um, the, the piece that I feel like gets a little corrupted um, is the piece around personal responsibility, so, for example, I've heard people call other people like energy vampires, right? It's like, oh my gosh, that person's such an energy vampire. Or what I've heard and I've experienced, I used to use this before, it's like, oh, I took on their energy, right? I took on their energy and now I feel this, that, or the other, right? Um, to me, those, first of all, I don't actually believe that you take on other people's energy. What I think might be happening is there's an energetic resonance with inside of you that is resonating with the other person, and it feels like you're taking it on, but you're really having your own experience of whatever this uh, energy, feeling, emotion is in the other individual. So what if that's what's happening? What if it's actually just agitating or shaking some things up with inside of you to look at, to understand, and to deal with, that gives you a level of personal responsibility. If someone's an energy vampire and that's the story, and that's the mind frame, where is there any room for empowerment for you? You're a victim of this other person, 
and you don't have sort of autonomy or strength in your energy field, if you can be, honestly, I'm not trying to be mean about this, but if you can be so quickly taken out by another individual, this means that you have not done your work on fortifying, strengthening, and clearing your aura. It's on you. It's on you to have the proper energetic hygiene and tools, especially as an empathic individual, so that you don't, so that you have your own sense of power around who you come into contact with. And so there's a thousand tools in this store that we use for energetic clearing and boundaries, but the most proficient thing that I've ever found is my kundalini yoga practice. There is nothing, nothing like it for that maintenance on a daily basis to amplify and energize and fortify your auric field. And it's not just for a protection or a boundary, um, but that's a side effect of it. And so I would challenge you, if you're sort of one of these empathic people that feel super drained all the time or that feel like they're so easily taken out of any given moment, like my prayer for all of us is that we are the dominant energy in any given moment for ourselves and that we can hold that container for ourselves. Um, one of my teacher, uh, teachers, Hardy Duan, he was talking, of, uh, giving a lecture about people who were asking him about, yeah, you're talking about this energy field and what happens if you have like a toxic person in your life, right? What happens if you have a toxic person that sort of wipes out your energy field? Do you keep this person in your life? Do you not? What do you do? And I'm not talking about, and I don't think he was either like straight up abuse, you know, or anything like, obviously, if you're getting straight up abused, go. But his answer I found very interesting, which was, if you cannot handle a little pest like that in your aura, you got to get back on your yoga mat and you got to work harder. Like, and, and that's really the case. Like if, and so I spent many, many years in that sort of um, disempowered, empathic state where I was very easily swayed by the mood in the room, by an interaction with a person, by my family members, and it, it made life to me feel almost intolerable because I was not the dominant energy in my own life. And so if you have those experiences and if you find yourself, like I found myself, sort of blaming these other people. It's like, oh, she's toxic, or that's an energy vampire, and that's sort of the, the general consensus I would um, ask you to just pause and see what, what ways you can take on your own personal responsibility to actually better navigate your own energetic well-being. And then what's so great is once you do that, you actually impact the space positively. Instead of feeling like you're getting sucked into or, or kind of like flowing with whatever's going on around you, you have the opportunity to share your radiance and your gold-tipped aura is how I always imagine it. Is it gold? Can you see it? Gold-tipped aura. Like you are actually contributing at that point. You are actually contributing to, the, to elevating the people around you instead of shrinking into sort of like this puddle of, I can't do anything to help this. Like, I would love for all of us to be contributing positively and amplifying all of the people around us, all of the spaces around us, whether it's the mall or whether you're teaching a yoga class or whether, you know, whatever. Then you're actually living life, right? I feel really passionate about this one because I wasted too much freaking time, like not actually being in control of my own energy too much time wasted. I'm kind of amazed I was able to do anything 
Um, but I can feel and I can see the difference. And one thing that my teacher says is that you know that you've got a handle on your personal energy when everyone else around you is elevated. Like, you know you got it. Like, you know you got your handle, let's say, on, on like wealth and abundance when every person around you is feeling abundant and experiencing wealth and is elevated. So if you're not sure if you, where you fall on this spectrum, check into like your closest associates and your closest friends and family. What are they like? It'll give you a very key indicator as to where you are personally. And the work that you do on your own auric field is actually very generous work because everyone around you actually gets to benefit from it. So go talk to Narendra after class or come to, come to Kundalini yoga class with us every, for the next three Sundays to get a taste of what that's like. Uh, so it's a, that's the quickest way, honestly. You can buy, I'm telling you, you could buy like crystals, cool, I love them. I use them all the time, it's our living. But, or you can just freaking meditate like 11 minutes a day. You'll be set, it's free. You breathe, you move your arms sometimes, you chant. Um, so anyway, that's my rant. My rant on empaths, did I offend anyone? <laughs> okay, cool. Let's see. All right, I'm on the if we have time part portion, so we're doing really good because we do have time. Okay, this is another thing that you should look out for that I have had to look out for. Ha uh, spiritual manipulation in a way. So I'm going to give you an example that happened to me that I perceive as spiritual manipulation. And so you can, I'm telling you this so that you can sort of be aware if you find yourself in these dynamics or if you're actually the person doing it to people. Because after I had this experience, I was like, oh shit, I've totally done this before. And it's fucked up. But I didn't know because I was being so spiritual, right? So let's, let's talk about it. So I was on Instagram as always and I got this a message from someone that I've never met before, ever. No clue who this person is. Hi, Kelly, I really appreciate the business that you've built and everything you've done, and I want to open a similar store in Canada in this town. And I was hoping, in parentheses in my mind, person that I've never met before, like, I was hoping that you would please give me um, an Excel document of all of your vendors and their contact information. Love and light. Like, true story, true story, right? Okay, so that was what was asked of me from someone that considers himself like spiritual, high-minded, and spiritual community. And so I wrote back, I could probably read it directly, but that would not be great. I wrote back something to the effect of, you know, congratulations on what you're doing. You know, it took a lot of time and effort for me to curate this store. So, and since we don't, especially since we don't have a personal relationship, I'm not really comfortable sharing that information with you. And also, you know, if you were to, you know, what makes your shop special is your, your eye, you know, like where, what you discover and that's what your community is going to want. Um, I said, but if you'd like, all of our makers are predominantly featured on our website. So if you really, you know, want to connect with our makers, you could very easily sort of look at our website. We're not hire, hire hiding anything. And I said, and I do hope that you find a few that you like because, you know, when our makers get picked up in other stores, it's better for their business. Thank you. And I thought this was totally cool. And then I get a response that was like, you guys are waiting for it. 
I'm just so surprised to hear that you're in such a lack mentality and that you have this poverty consciousness that you're not willing to share all of your hard work with me when I ask so politely. What the fuck? (laughs) And I feel like people are shaking their heads. What the fuck? I was like, so I do have my Becky. So my Becky is like, what the fuck? It's like, can you believe blah, 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 texting my husband, calling. I was like, I can't believe this person. All right, all right. But I am in spiritual community. And so I did screen grab it and share it to a Kundalini yoga group just to check myself. Just because, you know, sometimes you have to check yourself. That's why spiritual community is so important. Like, did I, am I, da, 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 okay. Regardless, this is spiritual manipulation. It's using the keywords, it's using the this and the that, and it's accusing other people of things in a way that does not sound like you are being aggressive, but you are definitely being passive aggressive. And what's happening is, if so if you come up with someone where you assert a boundary, and then you get that shit back, they're trying to spiritually manipulate you. And if I didn't have this, like I let myself have my tantrum or whatever, um, but I almost bit. I almost was sort of like, oh no, I'm so sorry. I don't have a lack mentality and tried to explain it away. I did not do that because I luckily have a sangat of people who will be like, don't fucking do that. But it happens all of the time. And I know that I've done it before to people unknowingly. You know, maybe not that exact same scenario, but I have used, like I've pushed back on people and be like, well, maybe it's your problem, blah, blah, blah. And, and, and it probably hasn't been. And I probably bumped up against a boundary and I was trying to get them to do what I wanted them to do. Um, but I just want to mention these things because there's ways in which you can take anything good and manipulate it to get what you want. And that's not what we, we really want to be up to. And so hopefully sharing this little back and forth with this person will help you remember if you catch yourself, you know, if you're doing this sort of thing or if you get this sort of response with people. It all comes down to, like, you know, personal responsibility. Um, God, I thought I was over it. (laughs) I'm just like, I need to shake that one off. It was so, it was so infuriating to me, all on Instagram, you know. Um, There's so much in that universe. (laughs) All right. And so that also kind of leads me to another thing to be aware of. And, and this is like run deep for me. And I've had uh, years and years of this sort of, um, this looks super personal. Okay. So gaslighting, are you guys familiar with gaslighting? It seems like you are. Um, this is used in spiritual community all the fucking time. And so for me personally, I was in a spiritual community. I was in a community. I was in a community, and it was not the community I'm in now, um, where I was, I, I believe, spiritually abused and made to think that my intuition, like when I knew something was out of whack or out of alignment with what was going on and how things were being dealt with and, and how people were being treated, et cetera, behind the scenes, I'm a, turns out, I'm psychic. I know this stuff. Um, but it was said to me, like, Um, no, your intuition is wrong. No, you have to trust us. We would never. um, What is wrong with you? Like, why do you want to make drama? Why do you want to make yourself feel special? What's What's going on over there that's making you see this situation in this sort of way where you can't trust us? And I spent years years battling that um, and discrediting myself, discrediting what I knew to be true and, and sort of 
uh, substituting my judgment and intuition for that of a teacher or that someone in leadership or someone who told me, and I knew in my guts it was wrong, but I stayed anyway. And I actually wound up cutting off parts of myself and different abilities that were really helpful to me because I was told to by these people because if I got more powerful and if I got more, you know, in alignment with my intuition, I didn't need them to tell me what to do. And I share this. I, I, I don't know how common it is or how many of you guys are working with teachers or spiritual community, but it is so, so, so highly important to 100% always trust yourself always. And I don't care if they're a guru. I don't care if they've, they're Deepak Chopra. I don't care who they are. If it is in your being that you know that something's off or something's weird or you're being gaslighted or spiritually manipulated, get the fuck out. There's a kit for that too. If you need extra help. And what I realized afterwards when I did run away in the middle of the night, literally, um, and I got some space on that, it came to light that a lot of my intuition about that space and what was going on was actually true. And it was, I was so glad that I had that experience and that it was luckily, praise whoever, that I actually got the validation afterwards to know that my intuition was so on point because now I, will ha I have incredible discernment and it will never happen to me again. But I had to go years, years without having another teacher. I actually went years to say, like, you can ask my husband, I'd be like, fuck that. I don't need a teacher. I'm my own teacher. Of course, Becky came back. But it worked out to where I could get some space and some distance. And when I was ready for a teacher, I prayed. And I got one. And she's awesome. Not perfect. Human being. That's another thing that I learned. All your spiritual teachers or teachers in general are just people doing the best that they can. But there, there's, a, there's a lot of squirmy, wormy, weird stuff that can be going on. And when you give your sense of autonomy over, your sense of judgment over to someone else, it is never, it's never good and never pretty. Um, so I share my cautionary tale so that you guys can vet your teachers and, and look at the life that they're leading. Like, don't follow people that don't walk the walk. And look, I remember I was talking to my teacher about... I'll call it out. It's okay. She said, so Esther Perel, she does like, she's a psychologist and does all this relationship work that I was interested in. I still think she's rather, rather interesting. And I brought her up to my teacher, Guru Jagat, and she said it in front of the class, so it's not secret. And she said, does she seem like a happy person to you? And I was like, you know what? I've listened, I've read, and I would not call her a ha sounding like a happy person. And she's like, well, is that, like, so, so don't, maybe she's not your teacher. If you're trying to have happy, harmonious relationships and she doesn't seem to be, you know, embodying that. Now, she, there might be other traits that are credible. She's, she's very brilliant. But I, I really took that to heart as far as how I start to see my, my teachers. It's like, do I want to have the kind of life that they have? You know, are they walking the walk? Are they doing their best? Are they, are they happy? Are they radiant? Are they how are they? Um, and so that was my other rant. I feel like it's a um, story of rants. That's my last page. Where are we on time? 10 minutes, perfect. Do you guys have any questions? You have to. You just make a question up. Yeah.
Okay. I'm going to repeat the question for the people that are um, on the podcast. So she's asking, so she said, if the Piscean, and I have to think if I, I have to see if I really believe that or not, but the question is, if the Piscean version of the ego is a candy is a shell and a mask of protection, and maybe the more Aquarian way to view it might be to, um, it's as like a friend or a partner or someone that can help you along the way, how do you balance? How do you keep? Oh, got it. So if you're using the ego to guide you, how can you keep it from being a mask of your identity? So I don't actually believe that the ego is guiding you. I believe that like your higher self or your God, like you, I, I also believe I should have mentioned this. I believe that we're all like, God, are gods of our own universe, right? I mean, Kundalini, it's the G-O-D, the generating, organizing, either delivering or destroying or destructive, something like that. So you're either creating or you're destroying. Um, so I believe that you are your own guide, right? And then the ego could be a tool to help you activate and execute um, along, your, along your highest path. Does that make sense? And, oh, sorry, Brandon wanted to say something. Oh, Brandon's going to add. So the, the delineation is that, remember when she talked about desire? You can kind of almost um, equate the ego with desire. They're almost the same thing. So ego and desire is it. So your desire to live, your desire to have food, your desire to breathe in air, your desire for everything is your ego as well. And so the way to fuel your life in the Aquarian age is to consciously move through your desires. And so you consciously move through your desires and add that on as an energy. It's a fuel. See, my, I can generate, see, if, if I just want money, I'm not going to have any. But I want money as if my life depended on it, then I'm probably going to find some. You see what I'm saying? And so that's the flip, flipping the switch into making that okay. There's nothing shameful about that. In the Aquarian age, we can use desire as fuel, and the ego wrapped around that, perfectly great. Right? So that's how we navigate in a way where the ego becomes actually the generator and the manifester of the 3D world that we live in, as opposed to it being the shameful thing that holds us back from all these spiritual endeavors, when actually it's exactly the opposite. It's the gateway to the spiritual endeavors. Does that make more sense? Yeah. Okay. Kalani, what's your question? Ooh, advice around shame and guilt about appropriation in the spiritual community. So, shame and guilt meaning, you would the person specifically feel? Are you talking about like? And sorry, I'm trying to understand if this is like a communal thing, like a like a societal sort of shame and guilt, or like an individual. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and so this is a really touchy subject about uh, about appropriation um, in the spiritual community. And so I, I don't, it makes me nervous even talk about. So let's talk about it. <laughs> um, I believe that. Okay, so I believe that we've had many lifetimes. So I think it's also very possible that there are parts of these spiritual practices that we might be drawn to that might not be part of our lineage right now, but that have resonated with us in past lives. So for me, it might have been that I was in Amritsar in India and a Sikh, which I have no idea, but that culture really resonates with me and those teachings and those texts, even though I am not Indian, right, or Sikh. And so I believe that our highest self are sort of guiding us to all of these tools and traditions. And then in this Aquarian age where we can share all of this information, we have access to these tools. But the, the difference to me is the level of reverence, the level of respect, seeking out true teachers of these practices that are, are native to these practices. Um, and to actually understand like, that you're not just using them to get power, to get enlightened, or, or all of these things, but you're actually integrating them in a way that has a lot of respect and integrity. Does that answer your question? Yeah, and so I think that, you know, we've got to work on our judgments to ourselves, and, you know, it's our birthright to have access to a lot of these energies and a lot of these practices, but it's also important to pay respect and to understand. Like, when Kundalini, like, you wrap your, your head, there's a lot of science to why, but really the mantra is the guru, and you're covering your head. Narendra taught me this. You're covering your head to give respect to the guru. It's an act of respect, right? And so you've got to use that sense of respect. And then appropriation to me is when you're actually monetizing or, um, you know, there's a different level too where you're actually using it to like make money. So there are people in this industry who I've learned actually like don't know shit about magic, but they're saying, oh, witches are cool. Let's put some shit in a box and sell it to people. But they don't actually know the reverence of what and the history of what they're doing. Um, we try very hard not to do that here, but, um, but it happens. And so that's where your personal discernment comes online, too, to get a sense of, like, is this person or is this company, are these legitimate practices? And then for us, like, say, with things like White Sage, we're trying our best to buy it from Native people. We're trying our best to not call it smudging because we don't actually teach people how to smudge. We teach people how to use sage as a botanical to clear, but we don't. I'm not of Native American descent, so I don't actually know how to formerly smudge. And so we, it's our responsibility as people to educate others on how to not unintentionally appropriate things because everyone's, for the most part, trying to do their best. Yeah. Do we have time for another question? I think it's... Okay, we can do, we can do one quickie. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, so she was asking about shadow work and how like it can get really dark really quick and how to best approach it. So I, in my personal experience, I've never actually categorized something as shadow work. Um, most of the work that I have done, I d I've done a lot of work though around trauma. Like that's sort of my background is like going into the trauma. And so what I would say that has worked for me personally, and this is my opinion, that's why I love group work so much. 
I love working. I've had the most massive transformations that I've had within groups where you have facilitators, where you have support, where you can really uh, have people that care about you. So if you do go, quote unquote, like too far down, someone's there to lift you back up. Um, but that's been the most tremendous community is my answer for that and and support. Um, and then, you know, for me, I've had these, we're having a class in the dark night of the soul. I'd be interested to hear this teacher's perspective because I've definitely had one, I, I think. Um, and what I realized was like, I was more afraid of what was down there than what was actually down there. And so like, once I hit that place, I was like, oh, I can, and then came back from it. It's like, oh, I can go there and come back whenever I want. But it was more for me, the fear of like what was hidden than what was actually there. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, I think that's all we've got time for. Thank you guys for coming out. We're here every Sunday, 11 to noon. Um, for the next three Sundays, we will also have our Kundalini Keep Up with Narendra um, in the plaza starting at 9.30. So you could be there 9.30 to like 10.55 and then hustle over here. Um, and thank you guys so much for your support. And I'm here afterwards if anyone would like to ask any other questions. This episode was produced by Kirsten Hedges and produced and edited by Georgie Harris. For more information, visit us at modernmysticshop.com and click on Sunday School.